The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. Thank you, Pastor Dan. It is great to be here. I bring greetings from Riverside. Uh, We feel like you are family to us, and it really felt like home today when I heard that the service uh, began at 10.30 and realized that for most of us, that means somewhere between 10.30 and 10.45. I thought, I'm home. This is perfect. Okay, guys, you got to work with me a little bit. You got <laughs> to be able to laugh at the fact that you just start trickling in at 10.30. Uh, Riverside, uh, we always feel like, wow, wow, I what would it take? It would Revival will come when people are really prompt and early. So I feel right at home, but obviously for more reasons than that, just the shared fellowship and the presence of the Holy Spirit here with you if you together. And we love this church. Love your pastor. He's become a, a close friend. We talk on the phone frequently and actually call him for counsel, and we have the privilege of sharing together and some various responsibilities and partnering in ministry. Uh, So thank you. Thank you, City Rev. We love you. And it's a joy for me to be with you and to talk about the subject of influence, specifically as it relates to the subject of care for your own soul. How am I healthy internally and how does that health connect to the subject of influence. And when we talk about soul care, we mean the essential you, the internal you, but obviously, I mean the entire you. How how does self-care play into this topic? It's an important connection. Some of you, like me, are, are old enough to remember the movie Man from Snowy River, maybe 40-year-old movie where there's a young horseman who is emerging on the scene, Jim Craig. He's got amazing skills. It's, it's, it's a rite of passage movie for a young man and a young woman. And, and there's, this, there's this elder horseman, Clancy, and he's, he's the most skilled horseman in the region and has been for decades and decades. And there's this moment, this rare moment in the movie where Clancy sees Jim do something that he himself was unable to do. And and Jim brings in this whole mob of horses and a wild stallion. And through this series of events, Clancy does something rare, even, even in Hollywood. He announces the manhood of this younger maybe even more talented man. He's completely unthreatened by it. Just, just to get that context, to understand this, this has been Clancy's identity his whole life. He's the best. No one can even come close. And now this young guy emerges on the scene with maybe even greater talents. And it's significant because the condition, the strength that is found within is what enables him to help this young man be the best version of himself, to not be threatened by it. 
And so we, we just start there with that simple connection of character that the health of my own soul actually helps me to want what's best for other people. It helps me to, to follow Jesus. But it's actually much more significant than that. Because the health of your own soul will, in the end, determine the direction of your influence. Let me say that again. The health, the condition, the overall health of your inner person will determine the direction of your influence. I'm going to give it to you in this manner. I'm going to call it a law. Consider this law. This is a law of my own making. It's not up there with the law of gravity or anything, but I think it's a principle that will really help you. You will always influence people to become what you really are. You will always influence people to become what you really are. I did a funeral this week, had the privilege of conducting the service for the oldest woman in our membership, 104 years old. And I was at, I'd, I've known this dear lady for many, many decades. And at the funeral, this woman comes up, a family member that I don't know, and she's, she meets me, and she looks right at me, and she says, you look like the Kentucky Fried Chicken Man. <laughs> wow. So then I preach the funeral, and afterwards, another woman comes up, this time with her husband, and says, you know, I was looking at you in bed, and your, your wife looks like Nicole Kidman. And I'm thinking, so help me, if you say Colonel Sanders, I'm going to... And she goes, and you look like George Clooney. Yes! This is the problem with influence. You're going for George Clooney, but you get Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Who you really are determines the direction in which you influence other people. I told your pastor, I said, you look like Chris Christian Bale. You really do. Not in the cool Batman way, but in the kind of weird Ford versus Ferrari goofy race car driver. And so whenever, whenever Pastor Roby needs encouragement, he sends me a picture of Batman standing on top of a tall building. <laughs> and of course, I return in kind. I'm happy to play the role of Alfred in Pastor Roby's life. <laughs> yeah, we're going for Batman, and we get the goofy, eccentric, uncontrollable Ford versus Ferrari race car driver. If you, if you tell your children, prayer is so important. I want you to pray. It's essential. And yet, you don't pray. You will inevitably influence your children toward not praying. You will leave them with the task of explaining the dissonance between what you do and where you've tried to influence them. And they'll come up with a narrative. They'll, they'll come up with a narrative like this. It says, well, okay, prayer's a good thing. We talk positively about prayer. We affirm prayer. We're for prayer, but we don't really pray. 
We don't really pray because maybe prayer doesn't really work or maybe prayer is just too difficult or maybe... And you, you can go through subject, gen, subject after subject, generosity, ve- integrity, love for the church. We influence people according to who we really are. Jesus put it like this, Luke 6.40. A disciple is not, be, is not above his teacher, cannot be above his teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be like his teacher. Again, Luke eleven fifty two. 52. Woe to you lawyers. Now Jesus here is talking to Bible experts in his day. Lawyers in the sense of experts in the Old Testament law. For, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. Why? You did not enter yourselves. And you hindered those who were actually entering. <laughs> That is such a sobering indictment. Jesus is saying to the religious leaders of his day, you took the key to knowledge and you locked the door. And you did it for this simple reason. You didn't go in yourself. If we would lead people to Jesus, if we would lead people to love others, if we would lead people into godliness, which hopefully is our desire as followers of Jesus, we must enter in ourselves. Now, that creates one significant problem, one very great problem, because if you're like me, you look at this law and you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. I mean, I do want to influence people to pray. I do want to influence people to be generous, but I don't pray as much as I want to. I don't pray as well as I want to, and I'm not, I'm not as generous as I'd like to be. And I, I mean, if you're telling me, Brian, that I'm going to influence people on this trajectory according to what's really in my life, then that's a little concerning. So I want to just tweak this a little bit to give you an application of the law that will help us all. And it's all about trajectory. It's all all about process. So the law of influence now applied looks like this. You'll always influence people to what you are becoming, toward what you are becoming. So if you step back and you say, okay, I'm going to have integrity. I'm going to walk in humility. These are biblical values. I'm not going to pretend to be something I'm not. I'm aiming for this life of devotion to God, of communion with God, but I'm not going to overstate where I'm at. I'm not going to be inauthentic or pretend or be hypocritical, but I really am endeavoring to grow in that trajectory. Then what happens is, we invite others in influence toward that common goal. And we say, hey, come, go, go with me. Now, that's very important because if we miss this little application, we will fall to the pressure of trying to pretend to be something we're not, which I would argue is much of what influence often looks like. Instead, just... We're framing here the subject so we can launch deeply into soul care. We've said three things. The health of my own soul gives me strength to do what's right. 
to not fall, to shipwreck. Secondly, it determines the direction of my influence. And third, it's all about process. It's trajectory. I'm growing toward what God has called me to be. This is the life of influence we want. So how do we get there? Well, we get there through, first of all, entering in ourselves, through our own care of our internal selves. And I'm going to give you a principle today. This is rather ambitious, but I think it's the right course of action. I want to give to us what I think the Bible would say is the single most important principle when it comes to the health of your own soul. If, if you can leave with one item, here's, here's what sets me on that trajectory, and the opposite of which takes me on a bad trajectory. It is this idea. Here's the main idea. Transformation, growth, health, comes from confidence in the goodness of God. Transformation... You could say growth, a process of health, a trajectory of soul care comes from confidence in the goodness of God. So notice I'm using the word transformation here because I'm emphasizing that it's a process, a growth process, and that we're going to see how this idea of when I'm confident in the goodness of God, it sets me on the right pathway. Dallas Willard is, has gone to be with the Lord, but he, he wrote a number of books on transformation and, and personal care and soul health. And in 2021, I took a sabbatical and I read a number of Dallas Willard books throughout the year. And I noticed this emphasis over and over and over again. He, he would directly and indirectly bring you back to this fundamental idea of being confident in the character of God, in the goodness of God. In fact, Willard used to say every day when he woke up, before he would get out of bed, he'd swing his feet off the bed and he would either pray to the Lord, Psalm 23, or the Lord's Prayer. And in it, he basically would use those two texts to confess that no matter what happens today, God, you're good You've gone before me. You've prepared the day for me. Now, do you see what that does? It sends you into the day on a trajectory. I'm going to live for you today. I trust you, Lord. I'm going to make decisions that honor you. Because I, I can trust you because of your overall goodness and your intent for me, which is good. Whenever that idea rules in your life, you're headed in the right direction. But when you are full of fear, ah, I, I, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm, can I really trust God? And, and when in your heart there's this subtle accusation towards God, most often our path away from God begins with an accusation toward God. You know, if you follow God, you're not going to really be happy. You're going to miss out on the good life. You're going to miss out on happiness. You're going to have less of a life. What you want is what you want, and what you want for you is better than what God wants for you. And that always sets us on a trajectory away from an internal health. So that is 
That is our framework, and we're going to go to Luke chapter 11. I invite you to, to turn to Luke 11, where we will, we'll, we'll see Jesus teaching on this subject, and specifically on the subject of prayer. So Luke chapter 11, verse 1, let's, let's look at verses 1 through 13. Please, please follow along. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Notice that Jesus actually does what he teaches. He's practicing a life of prayer, caring for his own inner health through a relationship with his heavenly father. And when he had finished, one of his followers, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So everything that follows is Jesus teaching on the subject of prayer. I would make this argument. This is the most important passage in all of Scripture if you want to learn to pray. This is the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, teaching us specifically how to pray. Here's where he starts. He starts with a model, what we call the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, Jesus gives us this model. This is a little bit shorter version that you may be used to, but notice this to begin with, that prayer is going to God just asking for what you need. Jesus models this. We're asking for our spiritual needs, our physical needs, our social needs. We're asking God to transform us in the process, to make us a person of forgiveness as we learn to rely on you. So just notice this emphasis. I'm going to point it out as we move through the chapter that we are asking God we're learning to live by grace. We're learning to receive from God the Father. That's what prayer is. Okay, next. Verse 5, he tells a story. So after giving us a model, he tells a story. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, his determination, his relentless asking, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So there's a story here about determination in asking for what we need. Notice again the emphasis on asking. Just so there's no doubt, Jesus now will interpret the story. He'll interpret the story and give you a promise as he does. And I tell you, verse 9, that's for emphasis. He's saying, lean in here, listen very carefully, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now Jesus, after 
interpreting the story, emphasizing persistent, prolonged, determined, asking, promising that you'll receive if you do. He tells another story. Look at verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give a good gift, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So he tells the second story. So if the first story emphasized asking, the second story emphasizes the goodness of God. Many times we're afraid to ask. We're afraid to say, God, would you just, I, I, just, I yield my life to you. I surrender everything to you. I'm yours, Lord. Would you take over and would you provide everything I need and, and bring change in me? We're afraid to pray that prayer, right? We're afraid because, wow, wow you know, if you do that, God's going to send you to some faraway place that you don't want to go. And you're going you're gonna to gonna have to do all these things you just don't want to do. And we, we start on this trajectory that has as its seed an accusation towards God. You know you can't really trust God. All right, so we will look at, look at this passage in three parts. What to do, why it works, and how it works. What to do, why it works, and how it works. And our whole goal is to get ourselves on this trajectory of growth in God as we learn to live by grace, learn to live by the gospel, by the grace that is ours in, Lord, in the Lord Jesus. So number one, what to do? Well, we ask. That's the clear emphasis of the text. We ask. Prayer is receiving help from God by asking. It's a disposition of receiving. As we pointed out, the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is one request after another, after another. And then the story about the friend that comes at midnight. The picture is that in Jesus' day, it was just, it was unthinkable that you would be a bad host and not take care of your guest. And so when this guest shows up at midnight, this friend has nothing to give him, so he goes to his other friend and he just, he just keeps asking and asking and asking the emphasis throughout, as I pointed out, is on asking. Uh, my wife, Beth, is, is here sitting back over in the back. We have six children that God has blessed us with. We've done a lot of asking from the Lord as we've experienced God's blessing. And my wife in particular has this gift of like outrageous, audacious asking. Um, one day she decided that these huge rocks in the front of our yard were no longer appealing. And I tried to explain to her that someone probably paid a lot of money to have these rocks delivered here and that they were actually very appealing. But she said, no, 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 they're not. They're not at all. So one day while I'm off at work, you know, sacrificing my life, she recruits some tree trimmers, tree trimmers, to move the rocks. 
and they find out after they begin to move them that they're too big, surprise, so they need a jackhammer. So after she's recruited people to do something they have no business doing, she goes to Home Depot to rent a jackhammer. But she doesn't want to pay list price to rent the jackhammer. So she asks the attendant, the salesperson, hey, would you discount this? And he's like, how can I discount it? So she, as she's asking, her favorite verse, James 4, you have not because you ask not. <laughs> she says to the attendant, you know, I really should only pay for this jackhammer when I'm actually using it. Would you not charge me from the time I take it till I drive home, and then from the time I'm finished till I drive back. Finally, the guy says, you know what, lady? Uh, if you just leave, I'll discount it 40 minutes when you get back. <laughs> the power of audacious asking. That's the kind of story that Jesus tells. Now, of course, I'm embellishing a little bit, but, but there is, as I tell this story affectionately about my wife, there is this power, like, Man, there's this ability she has to get things done and to say, no, there's no reason why we can't accomplish this. And that's the spirit of, of coming to God and saying, God, you have what I need, and I'm coming to you relentlessly. I'm asking. So I want to just invite you to practice asking. And I don't know if you journal, but if you don't, I, I just recommend this practice, even in a simple way. Today or tomorrow, do this in a journal. Do these three things. So I'm going to give you a template for prayer and receiving. And I really believe that this is a, a central practice. You don't have to do it this way, but this is to equip us in doing, this is a central practice for caring for our own souls. Begin by just asking. Learning to receive by grace. Jesus Christ has died on the cross to remove every obstacle to keep us from coming to God to ask for all that we need. Every time we want to come to God and we say, I don't know, I haven't, I haven't really prayed very well. I haven't read my Bible consistently. I'm really consistently, I'm really struggling with this problem over here. And I've got this this nagging, entangling sin, and, and whatever it may be, those voices of accusation, Jesus silences and says, listen, I've removed everything that keeps you from coming to God. Trust in me. Come and ask and learn to live by grace. Learn to receive. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to, number one, Think of three things that you want God to do for you. Three things. And write those out in a journal. Now think of, uh, think of this passage of Scripture. The end of Matthew 20. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. We're almost to uh, Palm Sunday. Now this is the one moment in Jesus' life where in Jerusalem he'll actually be exalted and worshipped. This is the one brief moment where they acknowledge that he's the Messiah. Now, they don't understand what kind of Messiah he is, and it's, it's problematic, but this is the closest it comes in Jesus' life. 
Now, you would expect Jesus to say, okay, I'm about to, I'm about to die, but there's just this one moment where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in the glory of this moment. And as he's getting ready to go into Jerusalem, there are two blind men on the side of the road. And they begin to scream out as Jesus and his followers are passing by. Son of David, have mercy on me. And it's, it's awkward. It's, uh, it's like, <laughs> it's like the crying baby in the middle of the service that everyone else is completely aware of except for the parent of that crying baby. David, they're just screaming. The disciples, hey, hey, stop it! This is the Messiah. Stop it! He's a big deal. Stop it! So it's a picture of audacious asking. You see it? And Jesus goes over to them and he says, "This, listen. What do you want me to do? Now think about this. The Son of God standing before you in this moment, saying, "What can I do for you?" Picture Jesus saying to you right now three things. What can I do for you? What, if you could have anything from me, what would it be? And write out those three things. And do not ask for three more things as one of the three things. <laughs> Keep it simple. Trust Jesus. We had a, we had a man at Riverside. R Riverside is just... This is a beautiful church that God's allowed me to pastor. I, I'm just amazed. And we had, we had a gentleman a few months back, like right here on the second row, just right up front, and he's holding a baby, and the baby just goes off, just crying and shouting. So he stands up, and he begins to bounce the baby, like right in the middle, right second row. So, you know, someone comes down and says, hey, I see you're having a little trouble with your baby. Can we show you to a room where there's a monitor? And he's like, no, no, I'm good. Thank you, I'm good. No, no, we have a place. He goes, I don't want to miss the teaching. And I thought, when I heard about it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you let that guy stand there all day long, right? He, it's this audacious, no. God, you alone have the words of life. I need to hear from you. I'm asking you. I want to encourage you, ask the Lord what you need. Be bold. Secondly, do it again tomorrow. Okay, so write it down. Go back tomorrow. Do it again. Lord, I'm asking you. I'm asking, I'm praying for this particular child. I'm asking for this financial need. I'm asking for healing. I'm asking for help to overcome this particular sin. Whatever it may be, ask again tomorrow. Thirdly, write down what God shows you. Journal your journey as God begins to teach you through this process of just learning to ask. You'll, you'll, you'll see this as you do. You'll see God begin to change what you're actually asking for. Tomorrow, you may get up and ask for two of the same things, but a, a different third thing. And those, those things will change. But over time, you'll arrive at, okay, these are really, these are the things that I'm asking of the Lord. Now, can I suggest to you just a little litmus test here? Like, think about it. If someone says, what are you believing God for? What are you asking God for? And you can't answer that question, then 
Think about the resource that is yours in God that's untapped as we, as we really have this invitation to live by grace. Okay, that's number one. What do we do? We, we ask. Number two, why does it work? Why does it work? Well, it works because the power comes from faith. The power comes from confidence in the goodness of God. Um, in this section of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is teaching his followers how to be a disciple, how to follow him. So the first nine chapters, he taught about who he is. He revealed something of his nature and his, his power to heal and set people free. And now, in light of that, he's teaching them how to actually be a follower. But he, 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 sir, you, you soon realize as you read chapters 9 through 19, well, it's difficult. He tells us to love our enemies. He tells us to, to trust him with all of our material needs and not to live in fear or worry. He tells us to do all of these sacrificial things. And I, I cannot do that unless I experience personal growth and transformation. And that only happens as I, as I trust God to bring that change in my life. What's the first, first part of the Lord's Prayer? When we, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy name be reverence, be worship. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. There's a massive transformation that takes place when I move from my kingdom, my will, to God's kingdom, God's will. And that is the, that's the story. Moving that needle from my kingdom to God's kingdom is the story of my entire life. Learning to trust the goodness of God so that I, I, I can with my whole heart say, God, not my kingdom, but your kingdom. I had a friend who had pastored for many years and he was really struggling. He was not, he was not effective in pastoring. And this brought a lot of heartache to him. And I was walking closely with him at the time and through a series of conversations, we entertained this question. What if you're not called to be a pastor? What if God's called you to do something else? And eventually, that was the conclusion he came to. And he told me, I, I remember the moment so vividly. He's just weeping. It's, a, it's, it's like a complete breakdown. He says, Brian, you don't understand. All my life I've believed if I'm going to be significant, I have to be a pastor. And that this, is, this is my identity. And this is my calling. And this is what God has for me. And now I'm coming face to face after doing this for so many years that, that that's not what God has for me. And I was able to say to this brother, listen, can you, can you just envision for a moment the glory of what now is before you, that you're going to experience the goodness of God in allowing God to place you where he made you to be? And it, it's this simple, I, I, I've got this idea of what's good for me, and God has this idea, and I'm going to trust him. For a lot of us, prayer looks like, uh, like going to God, and we're asking, but we don't want to get too close because, because he, might, he, might, he might start changing us or bringing transformation. We, we're like, God, I'd like, I'd like that. Could I, could I have 
that. Right? That's what our prayer life looks like. No, no openness of spirit, no yieldedness, no like, God, come do what you want to do in my life. This point is this, lean in to God. Lean in to the goodness of God. I remember listening to Dallas Willard share this simple idea of, you know, I just read Psalm 23 and say, God, I'm going to live for you today. I'm surrendering everything to you because you're good. And it was like, it was like the curtain was lifted to say, wow, I've had this agenda for my marriage, for my children, for the church, that I've been afraid to open up to God because functionally I wasn't believing that God was good. Not entirely. Lean into the goodness of God. That's what the last story in the passage is all about. This is which of you, which of you, which of you would do this to one of your kids? And so we are invited to, we're invited to just say, okay, God, you're, you're good. Jimmy Dodd is a friend. He works with pastors and provides soul care and someone that we've partnered with here in South Florida. And uh, Jimmy, Jimmy tells a story with the permission of the person that a pastor called him one day and said, hey, I'm going to resign from the ministry. I've been doing it for many years, but my marriage is falling apart, and I've got this one daughter whose life is a mess, and she's gone off into another city, and she's entered into a lifestyle that's really destructive. And, you know, I went to this city, and I looked everywhere for her, and I went to all of these places where I'd been told that she was, and I, I tried to find her, and I couldn't find her, and I'm just such a failure as a father, and I need to resign. God is disappointed with me. God is displeased with me. God has given up on me. God has left me. And so as Jimmy listens to his brother, he finally says, you know, listen, I realize it now. I realize that what you're telling me is you're a great father. You, you went in to these places that no one else would go, searching for your daughter, looking everywhere for her, and that you would do anything to bring her back. But you know what you're also telling me? You're telling me God's not a very good father. He's given up on you. He wouldn't come looking for you. He wouldn't search for you. You're actually telling me that you're a great father, but God, not so much. So this man, he heard this, and all of a sudden, the phone goes dead for like two minutes, which is a very long time on a telephone call. And Jimmy's like, hello, hello, are you there? And then he begins to hear this man weeping. And he sees, he sees Luke 11. I'm accusing God. I'm not leaning in. I'm not trusting God. Let's move, move quickly to the final point. So why does it work? It, it, it works, second point, just to recap that, because God is good. And if you understand that, you'll lean in with a more aggressive asking. You'll do, number one, a lot more effectively because you understand why it works. God's plan for you is good. All right, number three, how does it work? How does it work? Well, the sum of all asking is the Holy Spirit. What you really get when you begin to experience transformation and as God meets your needs is the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 12, verse 28. He said, if I cast out demons, 
By the power of the Spirit, you know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's saying, you and I, we have issues. We have problems. We all experience brokenness. And when Jesus brings healing to you, when he, when he sorts through your brokenness and dysfunction and your issues and brings freedom and deliverance as it's spiritual and emotional and physical, when the kingdom of God comes upon you, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Wayne Grudem gives this definition. He says, the Holy Spirit manifests the active presence of God to bless you. The Holy Spirit manifests the active presence of God to bless you. Jesus went about doing good in the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, follow the trajectory. We're moving kind of up this pathway. I learned to ask. I'm just receiving. I'm receiving. I'm depending on you, Lord. Where else can I go? You, you've got the jackhammer. No one else has it. I'm coming to you. I'm receiving. I'm asking. I'm, pers I'm, I'm persevering. I have to persevere because you're changing me. You're transforming me. And here, I'm not just asking. It's not just your power. But now I'm learning to trust your character. You're good. And now, in the third point, I understand how you actually do this is I do it with fellowship with you. The Holy Spirit lives in me. I'm coming to know you in relationship. Now, that is the transformation that happens in prayer. So our... Our, let's go back to our diagram, okay? I'm going to fill out the diagram and complete it now. I have three requests, right? I'm asking, write out these three requests, do it all again tomorrow, write what God shows you. At the top of the page, write this. At the top of the page, write this statement. Lord, I'm boldly asking you, God, I'm boldly asking you for whatever I need, and I'm asking you to change me in the process. So now, top of the page, God, I'm bringing my request to you today. Would you change me as I ask you? Okay, then I write out my three requests, I do it again tomorrow, and I write what God shows me. Okay, just go over that again. I start with this main statement, God... Here I come, unapologetically, boldly asking you, but I'm asking you to change me in the process, and here are the three things that are occupying my mind. Now, friends, don't tell God the three things you think he wants you to tell him. Tell him the three things you actually want. He's actually smarter than you are, and he knows what you really want. So you won't be fooling God. He won't be impressed. Tell him what you want, because this is how transformation happens, okay? So God, change me in the process. Here's what I want. Just right there, that formula, if you will, will bring dramatic change in your life if you do it consistently. But I'm going to give you a third part. Last part of the template is this. End by asking God to fill you. Say, Lord, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And... As I pray now, I just feel impressed that today, this is, this is what obedience looks like in my life. And I'm purposing, purposing, I'm resolving to obey you 
in this area. All right, so let's, let's just pick a for instance. Lord, number one in my, on, my, on my ask is help me, Lord God, in this financial need. I'm needing transformation. As I pray, I'm saying change me in the process. And now, Lord, you're impressing on me not to express verbally my anxiety all, all day long. So I'm just purposing to obey your spirit. That little template will help you experience and grow in health in your own soul. Now, friend, we're going to conclude with a response. I'm going to ask you to respond. And perhaps you're in a place where you just feel stuck in your own prayer life. You feel, you know, Brian, you're talking about prayer as an essential element to really the health of your own soul, the health of my soul, but this has been a struggle for me. Or it used to go well, but not so much anymore. I'll tell you, when I began pastoring, Beth and I had been married about five years. I'd been at it five years. I was really, I was ready to quit. I'd been at it a whole five years. And I told the Lord in prayer, Lord, I feel like a complete fraud. I never pray. I hardly read my Bible. I really, really struggle in this area, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried. And so I, I journaled. This was my main request. Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, help me to pray. And God answered that prayer. My journey into a life of prayer has basically been God giving grace to do something I lack the power to do in my own life. Now, I'm going to invite you to do the same thing today. If you're stuck, you say, I really want to live a life of communion, that, that I'm on that trajectory of learning to trust God and being filled with this Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to bow your head, and I invite you to just, like, right where you're at, extend your hands to the Lord. You say, hey, I, I can relate to that, and yet I, I want to ask, I want to purpose today, I want to resolve to obey the Lord, to take this simple step maybe of, of writing out my prayer request, but I recognize I need to learn to depend on God. I need to start very simply by receiving the grace of God. Lord, we extend open palms to you today and say, Lord, as the disciples asked, we ask, would you teach us to pray? Would you help us, Lord, now to grow in prayer, to experience inner health that comes as we learn to trust in your goodness, to be transformed in the inner person, that you might fill us with your Holy Spirit. Now listen, we're, we're wrapping up here, but don't rush through these next few seconds. Just call out to the Lord. Now would you just set a time where you're going to come back and have a, a follow-up conversation with God, telling God what it is you need, the request that you want to bring before God. Lord, meet your people. Help us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. 
If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.